day, and welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. Yesterday marked the one-year anniversary of George Floyd's murder. One year since the nation watched his life end in an incredibly agonizing and heart-wrenching nine-and-a-half-minute video. A video that captured the murder of yet another black man at the hands of a police officer, who this time, at least, was tried and found guilty. But as the country looks back at this horrific event and the worldwide protests that erupted, I think the real question is, has anything really changed? I guess it depends on who you ask. I did a quick Google search last night and saw a headline that read, one year after George Floyd's death, there's cautious optimism for police reform. That was from ABC. Another outlet said, a year after George Floyd's death, America is still grappling with police violence and reform. That was from CBS. And one more read, a year after George Floyd's killing... Fewer Americans support Black Lives Matter movement, according to a poll. That was from Forbes. So they're really all over the place, the takes on where we are right now and where we're headed. I really want to know what you think, though. What are you seeing in your America one year after George Floyd's murder? Does your community look different? Are you having different conversations than you were a year ago. Maybe you're someone who started capitalizing the be in black or doing more research before shopping to try to support black-owned businesses as a way to show support for Black Lives Matter. Or maybe you're a person of color and are really frustrated because you haven't noticed any real or meaningful change. I want to hear from you, so give us a call and tell us how you're feeling today about George Floyd, how you're feeling about the state of our collective conversation on racism, equity, and white supremacy. And give me a call and let me know where you think we're headed. Is substantive change coming? And what does it look like? Joining me now to talk about how she's feeling in this moment is somebody who is writing and thinking a lot about this topic these days. Karen Atia is the global opinions editor for the Washington Post. And back in April, she wrote a piece following the Chauvin verdict that was titled, The Verdict Isn't the End of This Story. Karen, welcome back to Detroit Today. Hi, Stephen. Thanks for having me. Sure. So let's start with how you're feeling right now, a year and a day past the murder of George Floyd. Are you optimistic? Are you pessimistic? Are you somewhere in between? <laughs> um, I think a year, a year and a half after George Floyd's murder, I mean, I, I think I, there's this feeling that there's still so, 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 so much work to be done. Um, the fact that the anniversary of George Floyd's murder and we can now on the media call it for what it is a murder mm-hmm. given mm-hmm. that Derek Chauvin uh, was uh, tried and, and convicted of, of killing George Floyd um, 
just in a few days, uh, we are going to be uh, looking at the anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre um, in 1921, mm-hmm. or from 1921. And it's, it's this sense, it's this feeling that the past is still present, this history, this legacy, this, this structure of white uh, and, and state violence against black people it's a reminder that impunity for these acts whether it was by a mob and state officials in in 1921 to uh to what's happened even since george floyd's murder where we have had so so many people who are still being shot and killed by police that we are basically it's, it's this question how do you how do you change a society that was literally founded on, got its wealth from the use and abuse of black bodies and having no um, accountability for it while yet calling itself um, a democracy? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm joining you actually from um, Texas, my home state. Mm. And this is a state where in the years since, George Floyd's murder um, in the in the protests, and you know, frankly, the election. Um, the GOP in Texas is doing its utmost to basically um, for the the critical race theory bill that is, has come under, uh, or critical race theory rather. Um, you know, the argument that this country uh, should be and can be analyzed from the perspective of race. Uh, Texas has introduced a bill basically banning discussing race uh, in schools uh, effectively Um, in Texas as well. I mean, talking about police reform, there is support from the state level to try to basically punish large cities that uh, reduce their police budgets, again, in in backlash. So I think I, I... I think I would say, again, back to your question, it is, it is a good thing that these, these protests happen, that our conversation has changed, that, frankly, the, the consciousness, I think, of a lot of white Americans on race was elevated. Um, that being said, I do think we are seeing, on many levels, a, a backlash to um, efforts to reform police, to re-examine funding p- to police, to uh, to efforts to try to teach America's history and present when it comes to racism, and frankly, you know, voter suppression. Mm-hmm. So it's it's a mixed it's a mixed bag. Um, but this is America has always gone through cycles of progress and backlash. So yeah, yeah, yeah. We're so, just living through through the cycles again. Sure. So, so I, I want to just sort of drop a thought in the middle of this conversation about what may be changing or I guess what may be the measure of change at this point. Um, so the, the violence that uh, Israel has been raining down on Palestinian people uh, for the past couple of weeks is, is, I think, being discussed in a way that reflects 
the consciousness of the plight of people of color around the world that I think was raised significantly mm. by George Floyd's murder. I, I, I have heard people draw more direct comparisons between life in the West Bank and life in uh, you know, American cities for, for African Americans. I have heard people compare the rhetoric that is used to excuse away uh, what's, what's happening there, um, you know, the dehumanization of Palestinian people, the, the, the demonization of them. I've heard that compared to the way that many people think and talk about African-Americans here in America. In other words, you know, we, we bring it on ourselves. We're out of control. There's something, uh, you know, visceral and, and dangerous about, about blackness. Um, and, and I think because when George Floyd was killed, it, it sparked this worldwide response. It sparked so much more reaction than other instances like that, that, that for me, it's the, it's the, I guess, I guess you could call it intersectionality, but, but I, I think it's, uh, it's also just a, a global sense of this issue that I think has real momentum. And I, I wonder if you were, uh, feeling the same thing. Oh, absolutely. Um, I'm glad you brought that up. I think, I think the George Floyd, uh, and and even let's 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 even uh, go back uh, further than George Floyd to to kind of when Black Lives Matter really entered um, our consciousness. I I just keep thinking of, of Ferguson uh, and the protests after Mike Brown's mm-hmm. uh, killing and um, how the response to the protests. I mean, I was just watching in, in horror as. Um, my colleagues were being arrested. My uh, Wesley Lauer was being arrested by police, journalists and protesters being tear gassed um, live on television. Mm-hmm. And I remember um, Palestinians offering advice to the protesters on how to deal with tear gas. Mm-hmm. They were saying, don't, <laughs> don't put water in your eyes, use milk, right? Mm-hmm. And uh, for me, like, uh, coming, you know, full circle in a way. I mean, look, look uh, you know, from Malcolm X to uh, Angela Davis, there's long been thinkers and, and black activists and, and scholars who have uh, really looked at the situation in, in, with Israel and Palestine and have drawn the connections to, uh, you know, these global systems of apartheid where people, um, just based on the, their origin, because their skin, their religion, are treated as third-class citizens um, and and subjected to what I, um, take the writer Teju Cole wrote in a post uh, a few weeks ago, um, not just the violence that we see, not just the bombardment, not just the airstrikes, but what he calls a cold violence, right? Mm-hmm. So the cold violence of forcing people out of their homes, of not allowing them... To, to move freely of of the, the quiet things, the quiet violences uh, uh, that we see, um, not being able to participate fully in the workplace, living in poverty, right, is a form of violence. And I think in so many ways, 
um, black Americans in this country, again, similar to, to, you know, we see these images of, of people being shot and, and these videos, and we're reminded of, of the, the sort of quote-unquote hot violence of white supremacy and of subjugation. Um, but again, uh, similar to Palestinians, uh, black Americans are, and, and black people um, uh, around the world are still subjected to economic deprivation, uh, lower life expectancies, particularly in America and, and in the West, lower life expectancies. And so I think it, the, the protests over, uh, that erupted after George Floyd were, I think, not just about racism, but frankly challenging the global world order, mm. <laughs> this order that has said that violence and displacement and ethnic cleansing and impunity are uh, acceptable ways to govern. And I think around the world, black people, people of color, indigenous people are saying enough, enough of this, Mm -hmm. enough of continuing the ways of the, you know, imperialist uh, uh, using force because, uh, to 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 oppress people as a ways of uh, just because you say right um, and you see it in here well you know as I wrote in my piece well black people need to be controlled police white people get to be safe mm. similar Palestinians need to be controlled so that Israelis can feel safe right and I think uh, this is what is is fundamentally being challenged around the world yeah. Yeah. I'm talking with Karen Atiyah. She is the global opinions editor for The Washington Post, uh, regularly writes about race, and back in April wrote a piece after the conviction of former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin that was titled, The Verdict Isn't the End of the Story. Right now we're talking about the anniversary of George Floyd's murder by Derek Chauvin, which was yesterday, one year Uh, since that happened. And we're talking about what's happened in the days and months since. What's different about America? What's different about our communities? What's different about the conversations we're having about race and racism, uh, systemic inequality, white supremacy? Uh, Is there a global change in the way that people think about these things that is adding momentum to the idea of change? Is there real pushback uh, from from people who who don't want to see the end of white supremacy or who uh, who thrive off of the kind of inequalities uh, that frame American life right now? We'd love to hear from you uh, during this conversation. Uh, one year after the death of George Floyd, what are you thinking about? How are you feeling about racism and inequality in this country? Do you think that we are starting to see real change? Are you seeing real change in your community? Is there something about your life that looks really different right now after what happened to George Floyd and the massive protests and all the attention that it has gotten in the last year? Uh, Also give us a call and let us know if you haven't seen that kind of change, if you're frustrated because you haven't seen the kind of changes that you thought something like this might inspire. Uh, As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. 
You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put your comments there, or go to Twitter, and uh, we'll try to... We'll try to include you in the conversation uh, from there. Also, give us a call, frankly, if uh, if you are someone who is tired of this conversation about race. We we also know that we have lots of listeners who don't necessarily agree with the attention and focus uh, on these issues. Thinks maybe it's overblown or misdirected. Uh, give us a call and let us know why and what you would do. Uh, instead, again, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Um, Karen, I want to talk about um, something else that you wrote about recently, and that was um, Senator Tim Scott's assertion after Joe Biden's uh, address before the joint session of Congress uh, that America is not a racist country. Um I wouldn't say it was uh, surprising to hear uh, Tim Scott say that. Um, I would say it was hypocritical a little bit because he himself has spoken about the racism that he's dealt with Mm -hmm. and endured. Uh, With Kamala Harris, I mean, she has to really walk this tightrope, as as I've said in a number of my pieces. It's like um, it is very clear and obvious that, you know, as a black and an Indian woman um, who identifies as black, but to a certain extent, you know, she does stand in as this representation of racial progress, right, the, and gender progress in, in America. Um, at the same time, similar to Barack Obama, I mean, <clears throat> she uh, can only go so far, um, right? And after her answer saying that she didn't believe it was a racist country, she did go on to say that we need to grapple with um, current realities when it comes to race. She kicked the ball back to Biden's own words where he has said and spoken plainly about the need to defeat, not just not just acknowledge, but to defeat white supremacy, right? Mm-hmm. So to a certain extent, she played it not awesome, but in my opinion, <laughs> but as well as she could, which is basically like, hey, but my boss says this is a problem, so... Let's, you know, let's listen to him. But again, the, the realities are um, we've seen the racist attacks that she has faced, that um, those in the quote-unquote squad, Ellen Omar, AOC, uh, Rashida Tlaib have, have faced. So it's, it's very clear <laughs> that this is, that this is uh, an issue. But again, I mean, it, it goes back to your, your big question of, even you know, electing uh, non-white officials, um, does that mean change? Does that mean progress? I think there are a lot of people who, who might say, well, okay, yeah, that's nice, but the shootings are still happening in my backyard. Or, yeah, okay, that's nice. My company hired a diversity and equity training, but we're still being underpaid um, as, as black or non-white or, 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 or people of color. Uh, in the corporate world. So I think still um, people uh, are still, there's a lot of visible change in Mm -hmm. some ways, but I think in the ways that that really affect our day-to-day lives, the change is going to be a lot slower. But the conversations and the change in the imagination, um, it's a step and it's necessary. Yeah. 
Yeah. Okay, we're going to take a quick break, and when we come back, we're going to continue this really great conversation with Karen Atia of The Washington Post. We'll also get to your calls and comments. Elena in Southwest Detroit, Phyllis and Warren, we'll hear from you. If you want to join them, 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. Call and tell us what you're thinking about, how you're feeling one year after the murder of George Floyd. Are things changing in America in terms of conversation, in terms of substantive change, and what kind of changes would you like to see? You can also go to Facebook or Twitter, put comments there, and we'll work you into the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. News, music, culture, and community. Every day on 1019 WDET. Detroit's NPR station. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and my guest is Karen Atia. She's the global opinions editor of The Washington Post. We're talking about the one year anniversary of the murder of George Floyd, which was yesterday. And we're talking about what's happened in that year since. Where are we headed? What are you thinking about? How are you feeling about things like racism and inequality, about white supremacy? 313-577-1019 is the number here on the phones. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page, put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's start with Elena in southwest Detroit. Elena, welcome Hi, good to good morning. Show. Hey, how are you? Such an exciting topic. I just wanted to mention that in the past year, there's been a lot of activity around the Detroit Charter, and it's about to go on the ballot, and it's inclusive of a section on reparations. Mm-hmm. And cities across the country are considering reparations and figuring it out. But in Detroit, we've actually been disenfranchised as far as we're being sued to keep it off the ballot, not even for people to go and vote against it, but there's a group of people who have actually sued the clerk to keep it off the ballot, mm-hmm. and that's being heard today in court. Right. So we won't even have a chance to vote on it. Yeah, no, I mean, that that, that dispute about the charter is something that uh, I, I find pretty interesting. I mean, I think there are there are a lot of weird sort of alliances, I guess, forming around uh, the the opposition to the charter that I don't quite understand, uh, you know, and, and you know, after it was put on the ballot, I, I figured that probably should be about the last word about whether we would actually get to vote on it, I think, uh, you know, vote it up or down. But, uh, but as you point out, there, there are some folks who want to, who want to challenge that. Uh, the, the reparations piece, I think, that is in the charter is one of the more interesting Dimensions of it, uh, whether you whether you believe that the city could fund what the charter is sort of setting aside and, and asking for is a different question. But the, the the very idea that you might explore reparations at the local level, as you point out, Elena, is something that's going on in uh, in a bunch of of, of cities. Uh, Karen, we have seen that in in a bunch of other cities. Uh, since George Floyd's murder, I think that 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 is, um, uh, I think, uh, quite credibly uh, a a result of 
the protests, of the attention, of the reaction to to what happened to George Floyd. And it, it's something that it's a conversation that, of course, was around before. I feel like it has a little more a little more momentum right now. Absolutely, I'm really glad um, that your caller brought this up. I, I really do think, yeah, it has added um, fuel to to the cause for for reparations, which has always been this kind of you know bogeyman, dirty, weird word uh, in, in the past. I mean, kind of akin to. Um, oh, you know, hand out, you know, the same kind of rhetoric, like hand out welfare queens. But really, I think what it what is happening, in fact, um, my next piece will actually be about reparations. And, and again, back to um, back to Tulsa and this anniversary that is coming up of the uh, race uh, massacre uh, when a thriving black community was basically destroyed um, and and dozens of black people killed. Um, there are survivors who are alive still today, and they've never seen compensation, restoration for what they went through a mm-hmm. um, hundred years later. And just, uh, I believe, just very, very recently, uh, a bill was introduced in, in Congress to uh, to push for reparations for um, Tulsa survivors and their descendants. Um, and yeah, absolutely. I, I, I think I, I think about the word reparations a lot and, and think about what in essence it really is supposed to mean, which is repair, repairing mm-hmm. decades, generations of damage. And in many ways you, you might, you know, argue that, uh, it's not just about money, but it, it is, fundamentally about repairing America's relationship to the people who literally get, gave their lives and their freedom, we talk a lot about freedom, but who gave their lives and their freedom to build this country by force. Um, and so I, I think that this is a really important, um, this is an important change uh, that is happening, that there is more fuel to these uh, discussions. Um, but again, there's, there's backlash, as your caller mentioned, uh, you know, not having the ability to even consider reparations at a local level for a vote. Um, again, I look at the backlash to, to critical race theory and, and discussing racism in the classrooms, and I just mm-hmm. think here in Texas that um, lawmakers are basically trying to prevent teachers and their students from having debates about what is what should be owed, what should be done, for for not just black people but but others who have been harmed by by systems that have been shown over and over and over again to be unjust. I think about the the backlash a bit to the um, to the attempts to uh, uh, help out black farmers who for a long time were uh, systemically unable to earn as much to get as much land as white farmers mm-hmm. and how banks are saying, well, but if if we actually have them pay off their debts, then you won't be able to make money. Right. Let's try to block this. <laughs> but it's important that we are we are trying to repair the re- we're trying to repair our society. We're trying to heal. Yeah. And I think that uh, it, it's it's 
it's so important. I think the reparations discussion is probably one of the most um, important. And I, I would kind of argue uh, that defunding, or, or not defunding, but rather like thinking differently about healing and reform and where our, our funds and priorities should go is a part of the broader conversation about how we heal. Yeah, yeah. Uh, again, Elena, thanks very much for the call and uh, and the comments. Let's go to Dennis in Dearborn. Dennis, welcome to the show. Hi. Um, uh, thanks for having me. And and I was hesitant to call because I'm I'm feeling a little bit of despair. Okay. And a and a struggle for the hope uh, that I so believe in. And let me just say, you know, Socrates was kind of against democracy at times because. He liked dialogue, but he didn't like uh, poor thinking. And there's so much poor thinking going on right now. I I think I turn in and tune in to good thinking and shows like this that inspire. And then I have to read stuff about DeSantis in in, uh, Florida. And it's just, again, it's the whack-a-mole against the black community. Every time there's a step forward, there's two strikes backwards. And uh, Tucker Carlson the other night, uh, redefined the word equity. He says, what's the definition of equity? And he turned it into it's racism, it's racism. Hmm. And uh, so the quality of thinking uh, that you run across, I don't I don't know what the percentages are and what's going to win out, <laughs> but, but the struggle is just driving me to despair and, and, and to struggle to be the hopeful person I want to be. Yeah. Dennis, I really appreciate the call and the, and the comments. I mean, uh, I want to say to you, you know, hang in there and don't despair too much. I think, uh, you know, uh, you're not wrong about the things that you're seeing. I see them too. Um, but I do, I, I do, I think, have a, a little bit more, a little bit more optimism uh, about some of the developments that we've seen over the last year that, that, that seem to counteract some of what you're talking about and, uh, or at least overwhelm it. Uh, and, you know, uh, instead of watching Tucker Carlson, I don't know, turn off the TV uh, and, and go read a book or something. I'm not sure. I put a lot of stock in him. I mean, yeah, go ahead, Karen. <laughs> oh, yeah. I think Dennis, that was a great comment, and and I, I Martin Luther King, and so many activists uh, talk about this about hope and and despair and and that the Basically, what we try to avoid is despair. I think what Dennis has has demonstrated is just being very clear-eyed, honestly, about how deep this battle is. Um, and I think when it goes, what, what's happening is, is goalposts are being moved. Mm-hmm. Um, you're seeing, um, you know, the, the comments about Tucker Carlson saying that equity is now just a co-word for racism. We're seeing, like, the battle at, like, a fundamental, like, it's a battle for language. Mm-hmm. It's a battle for for literally um, taking, you know, even even the word woke. <laughs> this whole thing about wokeness and and now it's being used as as a pejorative, as a as a bad term about whatever the left is. I mean, I think what is happening, and for the record, woke was a term back in the day, even when I was young, as from the black community, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> um, for us to talk about us being aware 
of the realities that we were facing and being aware, frankly, of the of uh, the sort of propaganda of American exceptionalism. So we would tell each other, like, hey, stay on your toes, stay right. woke, like, stay vigilant. <laughs> and now it's being used um, against us as a way to discredit us, saying it's critical race theory and, and saying that it, all it is is just a code word for, for black people to call white people racist. It's a, I would, it's, the quality of discussion is being diminished on purpose. Yes, that's absolutely it is being, true. It is not, it is not kind of like, oh, well, you know, people are dumb. It's, it is, it is a tried and true way to dismantle progress. And it's intentional. It is, it has been, it is, we're seeing the effectiveness of it in, in many ways. And so I think um, it is for us to be very clear-eyed in the language that we use, in the terms that we use, because even just those very mental, uh, sorry, very fundamental meanings of words, meaning things, mm-hmm. is being under coordinated, thought through, thoughtful, I would say, attack. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Karen Atia, Global Opinions Editor for The Washington Post. It is always really great to have these conversations with you. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Stephen. We're going to take another break, and when we come back, I'm going to talk with the author of a new book about our nation's broken public defender system. Stay with us for more Detroit Today.